morning. Can you hear me? Happy? Cool. Just all the pins, so I get a timer going so you don't have to be here the whole day. There you go. So like Colin mentioned, my name is Vessel. I'm part of the leadership team uh, in this church, and it's a great privilege to be with you this morning. Uh, we have been in this journey with Joseph for quite a while. Uh, so I thought maybe I would set the scene. <clears throat> so it was a cold, dark winter's evening. No power. Okay, I'm just describing winter for us for a little bit that's coming. But Joseph was similar in that space um, where he found himself at this moment. Maybe just recap, we've been through a few aspects of Joseph's life up until now. So he was a young boy that had dreams that he felt was necessary to share with his brothers. Um, they didn't feel that it was as necessary. And so half of them, or more than half, planned to say, we're going to kill you. One had some logic and said, maybe for my own gain or the fact that I don't want to have blood on my hands, let's just pause and if possible, try and sell him. So people that bought slaves, we have no reference for that in our time, luckily, but quite an intense story into a cage, if I would imagine, off to Egypt, worked in Potiphar's house and then actually kind of got favor with the people that he was working for. Later on, a lady, so apparently Joseph was also a good-looking guy, and uh, Potiphar's wife found him of interest, and she was pursuing him for quite a while. And he was dodging bullets and up until a day where she found him alone, and uh, he left everything behind, clothes and all, and then ran. And uh, she, in that moment, realized it's either me or him, and so she falsely accused him of, in today's terms, would be rape. And so he ended up in prison. And then Anthony very specifically stated last week that he was only allowed to preach Genesis 40. Um, so apart from his issue with the jingle, I don't know where is he is, he's somewhere here. Um, apart from his issue with the jingle, he had an issue with Genesis 40, that it was only allowed to be Genesis 40. So I've got the privilege of actually breaking through Genesis 40 today. And so we're not going to be stuck in prison but it is necessary maybe just to set the scene. So uh, I quickly want to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into some scripture. It's quite a lengthy passage, but just so you guys know how we're going to set it up. We're not going to read through everything. We're going to take portion by portion, and I think I'm just going to pause there and kind of double-click on one or two moments. I would also want to encourage you this morning not to dial out, because if I had to ask how many of you have heard about um, Pharaoh's dreams, it's a good chance that 90% of us would say, oh, well, I've heard about it. And therefore, we kind of just say, I know the story, so why would I need to listen? But I think there's maybe one or two things that we can, if we do pay attention, that God would want to say to us this morning. So let me pray for us. Father, we, we thank you that we get the privilege of being under your word this morning. I pray that you would come and speak to our hearts. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be um, preparing what we would need to hear. I pray that every heart would be open and uh, accepting, listening to what you want to say this morning. We acknowledge your goodness and your favor over our lives, and we just want to bring glory and honor to that. We ask that you would truly make your word come alive this morning and speak to us in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
So Genesis 41 is the passage that we're going to cover today. Um, and so let's start there. It says, after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. I actually just want to pause there. We're not going to read sentence by sentence because I'll never get through it. But I do think that there's a great context that needs to be put in this section, this opening liner. It says, after two whole years. So Anthony took us through last week in terms of the time that Joseph spent in prison, and it was quite an intense time. Joseph, later on we learn, and, and also mentioned that when he came into ruling, that we'll find out later, he was 30 years of age, which means he was about 13 years in slavery in Egypt, which means he was a 17-year-old boy when he was in prison, uh, um, when he was sold into slavery. And in this moment, he had been finding favor with the um, God, and so he managed to also, through the eyes of what God has enabled him, see people for who they are and interpret these two people's dreams, the cupbearer and the baker. And so I would imagine also the way that the cupbearer later on describes him as this young Hebrew. And I would suggest that there's quite a difference in terms of physical appearance between the Egyptians and the Hebrews. And I would think it would have been massively lonely. I think the struggle would have been real. He was also most probably the only guy that knew about God. And so by his faith and by his appearance, he was very, very much an outcast. But yet, in spite of those things, God has helped him to find favor with men where he's found himself. And so this cupbearer has got news that he would be reinstated. His friend, the baker, not so much. And so he died, which Joseph kind of interpreted and said that that's going to come to pass. It was three days that this transpired. Three days. And after two whole years, the, a goldfish has got better memory than this cupbearer. It took him three days to forget that this guy actually... And, and so I want to ask this question is, why? Why was it two whole years? And it's a good question. And I actually don't know. <laughs> because Moses also doesn't tell us. It doesn't specifically say why. It just says it's two years. But I could venture a guess. Maybe if the cupbearer came to Pharaoh and said, listen, there's this young Hebrew man, interpreted the dreams, Joseph would have gotten out of prison and left. There's a chance he would have been back into, um, gone back to his family or tried to find his feet. Maybe God was still busy building some deep-rooted character within Joseph. Maybe God wasn't done with him. I don't know. But in essence, I think it speaks about God's perfect timing. That in spite of all of these things happening, and that the things that we would put together, the way that we would piece the puzzle, is that it should have happened that he's gotten out like, I mean, this is quite a significant interpretation. Things have happened specifically. It's three days. How can someone forget? And yet, after two years, two years is a long time. There's a lot that can happen. Try and remember COVID. <laughs> It's quickly our time flies in a way, but in sometimes when you're in a difficult situation, it can feel like forever. And so I would just think that it was been a real testing time for Joseph. And so if you think about the age that Joseph was at, and you think about the situation that he was facing, it is impossible to think that from a human perspective, Joseph would have managed to keep his cool 
and be as glorifying to God in the way that he was, apart from God enabling him to. God's spirit needed to be really at work in Joseph's life. Because if the human aspect of Joseph would have came through and we would have thought the way that we would potentially react in those situations, I don't know if I would have been able to push through. It's, it's real intense, difficult. And I just want to say that let's just keep that in the back of our minds as we go through the scripture. And so let's pick up in Genesis 41. We'll go from verse 1 to 8 here. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk, and behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven plumpful ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men. Pharaoh told them this, uh, his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Next moment, the cupbearer is like, oh, shucks. Now I remember. There's this young Hebrew guy that's the following, following on in the scripture. He actually interpreted the dreams, and exactly what he told us happened. I got reinstated. I remember my sin. That's his words. And so maybe just to pause there for a second is to say that when we have spoken and we have given our word to someone and we do not follow through, even the Egyptian cupbearer knew that this was a sin. Just keep that in mind, that when we do speak, let our yes be our yes, and our no be our no. And so, after that, Pharaoh noticed that this wasn't just a dream. It says, and behold, it was a dream. And so, it's almost those, that moment where, well, I wouldn't know, because I'd never dream, so I would, I'll take whatever... <laughs> the guys tell me, where you don't know what is reality and what is a dream. I've never experienced that in my life, but I know it is real. I've seen people sometimes even during dreams walk around and stuff or speak or whatever. So it's one of those moments. It's also a moment where he knows that God is speaking to him, and it's not the first time or the, it's the first but not the only time that God has used this specifically. Nebuchadnezzar, another king, actually had the same experience. He had a dream. He was troubled the way that the Hebrew describes the Greek. The, the language description is a very similar way that it describes this troubled spirit that the king had. So God uses this to capture the attention of this pagan king. And he goes and he finds himself in a very, very desperate place. And he's trying to make use of every resource possible and known to him. And he's calling upon these magicians. And so I remember if I thought about magicians when I grew up back in Bloom, um, when you were younger, the, you would go to Spur for your birthdays, and there would normally be this magician. It was just a sleight of hand, and it was quite exciting at that time. It's not those. These are occultic people. <laughs> they, they used to interpret different things, and it's quite, a, it's quite a dark space to be in. But he's calling upon these people. And, and Nebuchadnezzar, he was actually even worse. He told the people, his magicians, his wise men, the people that he trusted, he said, first you tell me what I dreamed. 
So Pharaoh told him, but no one could tell him what it meant. But he knew that there was something to this dream and he needed to understand. And how often have we not found ourselves in a very similar situation to Pharaoh? We are, we are on a pickle. We, f we feel that we're troubled. We feel that something is happening and we try every trick in the book. But pray. But go to God. We call on friends, on family. We try and make a plan. We phone the bank. We, whatever the case might be, but we don't go to God. Pharaoh did a very similar thing. So we pick up in 14. It says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not me, in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Again, just pausing there for a moment. If you think about Joseph in this situation, two years has passed. He doesn't know about the cupbearer now, all of a sudden remembering. He's summoned to go see Pharaoh. The last time he was thrown in prison by these same people, the royal people that he served, now he's told to make himself presentable and go up. Just imagine what was going through his head. He wasn't aware. Like, what was this? Am I done? Am I going to be killed? I'm not understanding or knowing why I'm going to see Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh presents this predicament to Joseph, and he says to him, I've heard that you're the guy. You can interpret dreams. The things that you've told this guy has come true, the cupbearer. And Joseph deflects, and he says, no, no, it's not me. It's actually God. I would imagine if I was Joseph, I would have been quite tempted not to necessarily say that it's not me, but also not denying. So that I've got some leverage to say, I've done it, yes. If I do interpret your dream, grant me my freedom. I want to go. I'm done. It's been 13 years. I'm not sure if God is actually still in this. I'm not sure if God is caring enough for me. I've been in this pit for the last how many years. I've, I've actually interpreted there was this, this way out. The guy forgot about it. It feels like I've been forgotten, alone. Be very tempting to say, let me, let me leverage this situation. But no, Joseph stands firm and he says, it's God. It's only God that can interpret this dream. He says, it's not in me. God will give you a favorable answer. And so not to rehash the dreams, but Pharaoh tells Joseph what happened, what he dreamt. And then at the end of it, he kind of just states again that, just so you know, no one's been able to tell me what this means. No one has been able to interpret these dreams. It's almost like he's moaning about it or potentially throwing out this challenge to Joseph saying like, okay, let me see, what can you do now? And so in 41.25 it says, Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. 
The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow. For it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that it, the, the thing is fixed by God and that God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. So Joseph breaks down what God has shown Pharaoh. He again tells Pharaoh that God has given Pharaoh a way out. Not a way out, but he specifically tells him that he's wanting to prepare him, he's wanting to warn him. And Joseph is consistently throwing this thing back to say that it is God, that it is God, that it is God. And then, not only that, Joseph actually, just imagine quickly, put yourself in Joseph's shoes again. You've just been brought out of prison. You're busy interpreting. You're speaking. So, different scenario. You're speaking to now newly appointed King Charles. You can't just rock up at the coronation ceremony. You have to be invited. Now you are in the presence of this king or this ruler. You're not just interpreting anymore. You're actually telling him what to do. I would, say, I would guess that you would kind of need an invite to start telling the king what to do. And so the courage of the surety of what God is busy doing in and through Joseph is astounding at this moment for me. It's really a bold call to start speaking in such a way to the king. And I mean, you just came out of prison. You would think that you'd kind of hold back and make sure that you tread lightly, not go back to where you just came from. And so God is sovereignly working in and through Joseph. And so 37, it says, This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as, um, only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. This is quite a drastic plot twist in this whole story. Joseph has been thrown to the dogs for the last 13 years. It's been hell on earth. He's been standing strong miraculously in his faith, during his lonely times, during most probably times where he was wondering what the heck is going on. And all of a sudden, he goes from that guy to second in command 
to Pharaoh. And secondly to that, Pharaoh, who's this pagan ruler, has got no reference of God, acknowledges the spirit of God within Joseph. It's a big change in the story. And so, Pharaoh in this moment goes on to say that how the things unfold, it says, then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck and he made him ride in his second chariot and they called out before him, bow the knee, maybe remember the early dream. Thus he set over him all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I'm Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph name Zephanath Paniah. And he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. So Joseph went over all the land of Egypt. And so Joseph started collecting and managing whatever was produced in the land of Egypt, collecting it, storing it up. And it said it, it actually happened to a point where you couldn't count anymore. So the, the years of plentiful were plentiful. And just in context, imagine if you only take a tenth of what you get now to supply for seven years of famine. That tenth needs to be a lot. I'm not going to do the math now. And so before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Menasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardships and all my father's house. And the name of the second called Ephraim, and for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. It's a drastic change. And so, there's this story of reconciliation that's happening. Joseph, throughout all these years, have gone through all of this affliction. And in this moment, he's called out by God's perfect timing to act as a ruler over a foreign land to what God has been preparing in his heart for many years. God is starting to restore every aspect of Joseph's life. Joseph, in the way that if we want to drill into the deeper aspect of Joseph's life and what he is busy representing to us is what Jesus has done on the cross for us. Jesus has been in that space. He was 30 when he started ruling. Jesus was 30 when he started his ministry. And he's gone through many afflictions, has been falsely accused the same thing happening over and over. And that must help us to understand that we need to remove ourselves a little bit from the Joseph aspect of this story and think a lot more like Joseph about the God aspect of the story. The redemptive power of Christ in this moment is amazing for me. When I looked at this, he, he became this man with this ultimate responsibility over this whole land. Just think about the fact that you would be put into, um, at the age of 30, 
all of a sudden you are from prison made the CEO of a company. Would you be able to do it? It's not the easiest thing. You have no experience otherwise. You've not done this before. Just think about how much of God needed to be in Joseph and how much of his reliance needed to be within God. And so let's quickly go back to where this started from and see every aspect that I also want to say this morning that God is wanting to restore every aspect of your life. Joseph got in trouble because of a dream. And he got out of trouble because of a dream. He told his brothers what's going to happen. They weren't too happy. They sold him into slavery. He was thrown into a pit. Joseph was actually called out of a pit, thrown into a pit. Every aspect that has put him in this place has been redeemed. From a dream to a dream. Joseph's cloak that he wore, that his father gave him, being a favorite. I used to be my mom's favorite until I got married. <laughs> then my wife, even to the rest of the family. And then once a little girl was born, my wife had to also move down, unfortunately. <laughs> and now you go and buy cloaks and things and all of a sudden sleeping bags and this and that. I never thought I would pay that much for certain things in life. But anyway, side note. To know that God has taken that aspect where Joseph was identified by what he was wearing and that was thrown to wild animals, covered in blood. The story that his brothers made up, not going to go into that. Then he was actually thrown into prison because of his cloak that he left behind. And what as Pharaoh gave him? Signet ring, different clothing, and a gold chain around his neck. And every aspect of what it, that was was replaced by this new restoration that God is busy doing. He was then made to ride second chariot. Now, I would imagine if I would think about all of these kind of movies that we would think would represent something of that, think about gladiator or whatever you can, the, the way they transported slaves back then was this kind of cage by other donkeys or horses or camels or whatever. And now he's gone from that cage to riding second chariot. And then apart from that, he's lost his family. Everyone in his family, except from his father that didn't know what's going on, was actually betrayed him. And God restored that as well. Not just through someone's wife, it was Potiphar's wife. It was from the same household than Potiphar, whose wife was actually um, the one that got him into prison. And he restores that aspect. And he gives him two sons. And Joseph, in that, actually names these sons specifically to describe what he has gone through. Menacer, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardships and all my father's house. And the second one is Ephraim says, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And so because of Joseph, God is starting to bless Egypt. And every aspect of his suffering has been put right. All of a sudden, he became a 13-year overnight success. How often do we find ourselves in that period where we are struggling to hold on to the moment or that aspects of faith that is carrying us through 
But it's also quickly, when we like the cupbearer, it takes us three days to forget what God has done. So the one thing is God is wanting to restore every aspect of your life. But may I also suggest that it's not going to happen the way that you want it, necessarily. We often come to God and say, yes, thank you, restore my life in X, Y, and Z. I want it in this way and I want it in that way. Here's the thing that I think we miss when we read the story of Joseph. Is that the fact that we think when we read this that Joseph is central to this whole thing. He's constantly reminding us that it's God. He's saying to Pharaoh, no, it's God, it's not me. And so why are we focusing so much on what Joseph is doing? Why are we focusing so much on the character that's been built? Yes, it's necessary. Yes, it's true. Yes, it's there. But Joseph's story is a byproduct of God's bigger story. Joseph's story is a byproduct of the gospel. Everything that Joseph has gone through is because of a bigger promise that God has made to his people way before Joseph's life. And he's busy restoring the bigger picture. He's busy writing his gospel story. And Joseph is but a memo in that. Joseph is actually not the central part of the story. It's God and what he's busy doing. The amazing thing about this is that God is doing that and he's busy with Joseph's life. And that's what I want to say to you this morning. Yes, God wants to restore every aspect of your life. He wants to give you back the cloak that was taken from you. He wants to restore families. He wants to restore every aspect of what you can imagine. But most probably not in exactly the way that you would prescribe it. Because we don't know what he knows. He's removed from time. He's busy writing this grand story that we just a part of. But it doesn't make you less significant because Joseph got a whole story in the Bible because of what he's gone through. So I want to say that God is very interested in who you are. But always remember that you are just a part of God's bigger gospel story. And by simultaneously writing his gospel story, God is also working in your life. Can I ask the band to... Maybe join. Need to get Quinn there off dad duties. And so God has been faithful throughout the ages because of his promise that he's made to his people. And what I want us encourage I want us to be encouraged this morning is that although you might be facing your thirteen years of Egypt, your time in prison being lonely, forgotten, confused. God is busy working in and through you. God will restore you, not necessarily by your timing of that, because he knows more than we do, and his timing is perfect. And he's busy building character within you that can sustain you, but not only that, make you part of the gospel story that he's intended for you to be a part of so that we can go out to the nations and present what God has always been calling us to do, going to the nations, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because that's the grand story that God's been busy with the whole time. There's a massive restoration happening, and it's even bigger than that, and Gareth will wrap it up next week. 
because God is busy writing a story for his people that he's called. Joseph's character and who he is and what he's done and what he's gone through is very real. And I want to say that to you this morning as well, that God acknowledges the difficulties and the struggles and the things that you face. It is very real. But always remember that luckily, it's not the main focus. His bigger picture, his bigger story, the redemptive power of his gospel, that's what we want to so can I ask us to stand and in light of what you are going through at the moment, think about God, putting him central to the story of your life, recalibrating your view of not being stuck in prison, being thrown to the dogs, challenging things that you might be facing. In spite of all of that, remember that God is for you he wants to restore every aspect of your life. And by that, I mean every aspect of your life. Remember that it's by piling into Him that you understand what it would look like. That His timing is perfect in every aspect and His redemptive restoration power is greater than what you can ever imagine. And in all of that, He's still busy writing His gospel story. So maybe respond to a God that is almighty, a God that is doing everything that I just mentioned, and the bigger picture. And yet in that, he wants to get to know you for who you are.